Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. But today we continue and we finish the Ephesians 4 No Matter What series. And I want to throw at you four big fridge magnet statements. Edwin taught me what a fridge magnet statement is. It's like four things that people love putting on their fridge. But it's challenges to us at the end of the series. The Bible says that actually the preaching of the word and the teaching of the word calls us to respond. It calls us to into big decisions so that the supernatural life that God has for us can be released into the world beyond and outside. And four just big challenges from Philippians. The first one is Christ, the purpose of our life. And, and we meet this guy, Paul. He's lived this radical, wild life. And in Philippians 1, he says, For, To me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in this body, in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, but it is better by far, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you than I remain in the body. He's like indifferent about death. How many people do you know are a little bit like, well, I'm very happy to go, but actually I feel called to stay, so I'm going to stay. When last did you have a coffee with someone and they said that to you? Just, I'm so ready for heaven right now. It's like, And I think it's an incredibly challenging position because he obviously has a perspective on eternity that most of us struggle to live with every day. And this perspective means that actually God comes in my purpose for life, whether in death or in life, is Jesus. With many, life is about power, money, the commendations of others. Paul says actually there's only one thing that Christ, it's it's not about Christ as life, it's actually Living is Christ, and death is Christ. It's all in Christ. I'm everything in. My purpose is Christ Jesus. It's a radically, radically high challenge to the everyday carrying on of life. And then he carries the second one. He says, does Jesus set the pattern or the grid for your life? And, and he gives this radical challenge in Philippians 2. He says, um, he, he says, in relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. It's an amazing, amazing thing. He says, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He says, so he finds his grid, his dynamic for how he's going to live his life with people, not from his parents handed down, not from his culture handed down, not from societal norms, not from the cosmo. He's going to find his patterns for life and the way he's going to live out his life in who Jesus was. And you remember that we don't get to kick out, well, Jesus was humble, I was born not. Uh, Jesus chose to live, I, I choose to live this way. No, Jesus comes in, and my job, as I'm made in, is in his image and likeness, is to become like him. And so he becomes the pattern, the grid. Why do I forgive? Because Jesus died for those who put him on the cross. It's not hard when we see it that way. It's hard when we start counting it, Paul says, actually, to die is gain. When we start thinking about gain in the wrong areas, we get caught up in cycles and circles we shouldn't. And then Paul has this perspective. He says, if the prize of our lives was exposed to the world, if I asked you right now, I said, there's a mantelpiece here, and the prize of your life is going to be put on that mantelpiece, what would you put there? 
For some, maybe it's very snazzy car keys or, or, or house keys or, or, or whatever. The Bible says, and Paul calls us that it would be Jesus. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenly, heavenward in Christ Jesus. And Gabe taught last week, and our prize is Jesus. In death and in life, my prize is Jesus. Relationship with Jesus, eternity with Jesus. That is the highest penultimate prize for every believer. And Philippians challenges in us. Gonna, if you're going to read this book and go, well, that was nice. I'm telling you, probably missed the high challenge of a man sitting in prison going, it's all about Jesus. Come on, church, see him. Don't you feel it when we worship? I don't know about you, but when we worship and we sing the name Jesus, there's something inside of me that wants to jump out my skin. I'm designed, I'm birthed, I'm given life and breath to give it to him. It's not an expression we learn in church. It's the very reason I was born. And the last one is what gives you strength? What gives you power in this life for these days, for this journey? It can't be this white-knuckled Christianity. Well, I'm holding on. How are you doing? I'm just holding on. You've been holding on for 30 years. Stop holding on. Allow him to hold you. Because Paul says in this book, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in, and in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do this all through him who gives me strength. I need that water, please, Rana. Richa. Thank you. And Paul, this man who lives this fearless ministry, just goes, gives it all to Jesus, says, my strength is him. I think sometimes we look at people, and we kind of work out where their source of strength comes from. We kind of try to figure out how do they hold the line? How have they held the line for so long? They must have a secret source somewhere. 22 years serving orphans in Mozambique. How do you do that if not for Jesus? And Paul challenges us as the church because as relevant and real as it was 2,000 years ago, it is just as relevant and just as real today. Because the world's making many promises. And the Bible calls us in this amazing series to this big challenge of no matter what. Here's the thing with no matter what. No matter is not the problem. The what's the problem. <laughs> it's like, now nah, I don't struggle with my eyes. Or I, I, I've never struggled with having an affair. I've never had an affair. Maybe just haven't had the opportunity yet. Honestly. I've never struggled with, with stealing money from your work. Well, maybe you've never had a hundred grand mistakenly put in your account and had to make the decision, what do I do now? I'm being serious. Sometimes the no matter what sounds really easy until the what is put in front of you. And the issue is, if it's the what, we're going to get caught up with it. But if I'm on Jesus and my eyes fixed on Jesus, I don't get caught up with the what. And the challenge of the series is not so much how I can do this, the challenge of the series is there is an enemy who is the specialist of the what. He's really good at it. He's done his market research. He, he's done it all. He knows. 
And so our job is not to become, well, let's put all these defenses up about so we can deal with the what. Our job is to fix our eyes on Jesus. I think the whole book of Philippians exalt Jesus. I think the whole book of Philippians paints such an amazing picture of Jesus. I'm captivated with Jesus. I'm not caught up with who Paul is. I don't want to be like Paul. I want to be like Jesus. So the no matter what series challenges us. And I want to read a section from the last chapter. And touch on a few things as we land and conclude this series. It's his final exhortation. He does say finally a few times. He was obviously very excited. But um, chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. That's another fridge magnet, eh, Ed? It's like top right, big. Let your gentleness be evident to all. You know where this series came from? And why I felt to do this series? In the middle of the night, I couldn't sleep. And I hadn't been unbelievably gentle with my wife that night. And I start reading Philippians, because why not? So I start reading Philippians, and I get all the way to chapter 4, and I go, let your gentleness be evident to all. And I'm like, oh. But God, you don't have my wife. (laughs) I didn't say that. (laughs) She's out the room, I swear to God. (laughs) And her brother's here today, so I'm going to be careful. But let your gentleness even to all. And I'm going, ah, all. Including the guy who cuts me off almost every second day on the way to work. Yes, that guy. All. The Lord is near. It's always a good one to remember. You want a fridge magnet, maybe in your car. If you struggle with road rage, just put it on your, like, on the one-way glass. You can just see it. The Lord is near. Maybe it'll help. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice And the God of peace will be with you. I pray today we can place our lives under the probing searchlight of this scripture. Because it's radical. This book and this challenge and the No Matter series doesn't allow us to squirm out. Well, I'm glad I missed that one. Puts a spotlight on us. Paul uses big words like anything. Like everything. Every situation and whatever, he, it's all encompassing, all encapsulated in that thing. It's all in there. The gospel is an all-in gospel. An all-in gospel. The challenge of this gospel and the challenge is I can't split my Monday to Saturday life and my Sunday life. And, and sometimes we love to do that. We give Sunday to God and Monday to Saturday to me. It doesn't work like that. Jesus didn't give his right hand for me. He didn't give his left arm. He gave it all. And the very essence and nature of the gospel is it's everything. Every situation, anything, whatever. And the big idea today is that there's no enduring change in life. Meaning change that will hold seasons. Change, I'm not feeling good today, so change feels good today. Change that will hold under pressure. Change that will hold when, 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 when the real pressure is on. That pile driver is next door and you're, it's Saturday afternoon, six o'clock, and your neighbor is pile driving their floor. 
Yes, testimony, yesterday. And um, said, there's no meaningful Christ-exalting. I'm not going to live a life that is unbelievably Christ-exalting. And there's no real sin-sacrificing, sin, not sacrificing, that's the wrong word, sin-killing process of sanctification in my life unless it breaks into my thinking. That's the big idea. Was that a good one? I didn't nail that one. Mariette's nodding, but you always nod. You're very encouraging. <laughs> I just, just never move. Sit there every week. It's very helpful. And, um, but it's got to be this transformation. And, and Sam Storm says this, your mind matters. In fact, it matters eternally. So Paul tells us all to think about true things, not lies. Ponder and reflect on what is noble and dignified, not what is base and vulgar. Meditate on what is just and righteous, not what is wrong and distorted. Focus on what is pure, not sleazy. Fix your thoughts on what is admirable and praiseworthy, not offensive and ugly. See, what we fix our eyes on, when I fix my eyes on Jesus, I become like Jesus. The problem with not understanding grace is I fix my eyes on my sinful life, and I say, I'm going to work on this. And I can't. And it's white knuckle and it's hard. But when I fix my eyes on Jesus, I become like him. Can we put the picture of Michael Lapsley? And I, Father Michael Lapsley, and I preached about this once before about two years ago. But I've always been astounded, and I've read this as an Anglican priest who, moved, priest who moved from Australia to Africa and got caught in the Soweto uprising, and, and he, he moved into Soweto in 1976. And he began to speak out against cruelty and discrimination. He began to challenge injustice. And um, he, 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 many years uh, after coming to the country, he joined the ANC in the freedom fight. The problem was he got caught in a crossfire and a letter landed on his desk. There was a letter bomb from his own party. And that bomb exploded and blew both his hands off, one of his eyes out. He's still in South Africa. And he runs a program which allows people to find healing. It's called Healing of Memories. How can someone do that? How is that possible? Stop and put yourself, and you're sitting at a desk, and next minute your hands are gone, your eyes gone, and the very country you came to fight freedom for is bitten you back. And then you devote your life to bringing healing to that nation. You can't fix your eyes on, well, I'm going to work on my forgiveness. I'm going to work on, you can't. You'll never get there. The only way you do it is fixing your eyes on Jesus. If you've received injustice, I'm telling you the only way you're going to get back is not getting justice. It's by fixing your eyes on Jesus. If, if your husband or your spouse have done things to you that are wrong, that you didn't deserve, the only way you're going to get through is by fixing your eyes on Jesus. It's the only way. And so we have to understand that to live a supernatural life has to start and does start with living a supernatural thought life. Supernatural thought life. And it's this big challenge. Paul Ross says, do not be anxious about anything. When we started the series, I said, I have faith that people struggling with depression will be healed of depression. You, a couple of weeks ago, heard a testimony of a lady who struggled for 13 years on medication consistently, constantly, being completely set free of depression. But here's the thing. We love a label like depression because that's someone else. The reality is, most struggle with a measure of anxiety. It starts with, when I wake up in the morning, I've got to check Facebook just to check my world's okay. 
It starts with, I've got to get to my bank account, just make sure it's still there, and I'm okay. Maybe it's as real as some moms waking up and just going through middle of the night. Time, I remember when our first child was born, I'd go through in the middle of the night, is he still breathing? Are we the worst parents in the world? And Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. How can you say that, Paul? You, you don't live my life. You don't know my story. And people are living and freaking out in our culture. You just need to be stuck at, uh, we don't, when I lived in Durban, we didn't have roundabouts like we have here. Roundabouts have added anxiety to my life. They really have, and Cape Town drivers at roundabouts have added anxiety to my life. There are about 16 different sets of rules, apparently. It's like playing snooker with someone. You never know what rule we're playing. Are you going? Okay. You, okay, I'm going, okay, no, you, no. It brings anxiety to your life. There's a million things that bring anxiety. But we have to understand anxiety because Paul uses the word anxiety. In America, they did a study of understanding anxiety and, and the number one disorder in America is anxiety, 40 million people. That's 18.1% diagnosed of the American population over the age of 18. And here's what they also found. It cost the U.S. more than $42 billion a year, almost one-third of all spend in the area of medicine is on anxiety. It's an epidemic. It's a huge number of people, and, and even those hearing the sermon are struggling with this thing of anxiety. You know what it says? It says, the study says people with anxiety disorders are three to five times more likely to go to the doctor, six times more likely to be hospitalized for psychiatric disorders. The point is, life causes anxiety. It did 2,000 years ago in Rome. It still does today. So what is anxiety? Anxiety is this, well, I, I, I anticipate the worst from the future. It's, uh, it, 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 and I, I've done it. I have moments like that where, where the enemy wants to get in and bring anxiety because the Bible says, do not be anxious about anything, but your, your wife said she'd be home half an hour ago. She hasn't been home and her phone's not charged. So obviously the worst has happened. Tell me that hasn't happened if you have a family. It's like, where are they? And the Bible says actually we should be free of this. What causes anxiety? Well, Turning circles? What about stress, success? What about finding success? Studies show that actually those who have found their success in life live with more anxiety. Why? Because it becomes an idol we need to shine and make sure it grows and gets bigger. Or the lack of success. What a lack of community. And how do you know you're stressed? Well, emotional, you become emotional about things that shouldn't be emotional. You, you unable to break healthy rhythms in your life. Unhealthy rhythms. You don't want to break the healthy rhythms. Keep the healthy rhythms. Break the unhealthy rhythms. And, and you, you maybe you start self-medicating. I, I remember one guy cracked a joke with me. I said, are you in a life group? He said, yes, with Jack Daniels. And uh, what, was it? what was it? Jack Daniels, I wrote it down. I had to write it down. Johnny Walker and Captain Morgan. I said, that's not the best life group you could ever be in. Can I find you some new friends? And it was a long journey with that guy. Um, but the issue is the Bible says, don't be anxious about anything. See, this guy does know, Paul. He's sitting in prison again. He's been whipped and beaten. He, he's, they thought he was dead. 
And then he pitched up at the door. He came and told him he's alive. And the, the girl was so excited to see him, she shut the door in his face and left him outside. That's in the Bible. That's, he should have a whole lot of anxiety going. He should be on a lot of meds, comets, rescue drops, in his eyes, in his ears. He should be on the whole thing. And yet he's the guy sitting in prison calling the church because he's saying the gospel's got to get into your thinking, church. It's not just a doing gospel. It starts with your thinking. It's allowing the God of all creation to come into your thinking and bring order. He's calling us to victorious living. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. You want to know how to live victorious Christian life? In every situation. By prayer and petition. Petition. Oh, I prayed once. No, we, 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 we're a country, we know about petitions. We, we know, and if you don't know how to pray and petition, watch the news, because our country knows how to petition. They don't move. They're climbing on top of things, and it's going around, and, and I'm telling you, as Christians, there should be a greater passion. There should be a greater urgency. There should be a greater enduring, a pushing through, saying, actually, I'm going to petition God in this. With thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, it transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts. And he says, he can't just leave it there. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, and he gives these eight virtues, and he says, whatever. These are not just scriptures. This is life. In the all of life, whatever is true, what is true? See, because we live in an age where truth is not super celebrated. And I've shared this before. I sat with two young men who were doing their master's degrees in theology at Oxford, and they didn't believe in truth. The whole brow, we spoke about truth. And is there such a thing as truth? My truth, your truth, is your truth, my truth. No, there's truth. If I jump off and try stage dive here and there's no one catching me, the truth is I'm going to hit the floor. It's truth. But truth is whatever conforms to the gospel and the revelation of God's will in his word. It's not complicated. And we have to understand that as believers, we have a grid. It's a grid of truth. It's a grid of his word. It's a grid of the gospel. And it brings us to life and peace. He says, whatever is honorable, and by this word, it's kind of respect and reverence. It's, 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 whatever is honorable in life, embrace it. Don't run away from it. Don't shy away from it. Don't choose the dishonorable route. We think of Nehemiah and his honorable walk of serving a foreign king. And we wonder why he has the grace in his life. It's not surprising. It says, whatever is just, just in, in accordance with the divine standards and, and what, of, what is right and what is wrong. We have some decisions to make, church, on what is just. We can't hide away, well, my perspective and my grid. No, your grid has to come under the authority of the word of God, of what is just. Salaries, bosses need to make a decision of what is just. He says, whatever is pure, and I think it's, it's pure in deeds and words, and Paul spoke much about sexual purity. He says, dwell on these things. Give time to these things. Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. He says, if there is any excellence, See, too many Christians, I honestly believe we settle for mediocrity in the name of not trying for excellence. Excellence is different to performance. It's different to performance. It's not about putting on a performance, but there should be a measure of excellence and striving for excellence. Jesus was excellent. 
in everything he did. There's a massive difference between what is professionalism and what is performance versus what is excellence. Says if there is anything worthy of praise, he just says, think about these things. Give your attention and time. That's our responsibility. And he says, submit your thought life because the reality is there's a challenge. I want to tell you, here's the challenge. Begins with the mind. And, and, and you know in America, your average child, by the time they are 65, will have spent eight years of their life watching TV. Eight years. Whole years. Every second, every day. It's, um, the average American child spends 900 year, hours a year in school and from 1,200 to 1,800 hours watching TV. Because that's a mind being filled right there. That's why it's an issue. By the age of 20, the average American has seen 800,000 TV commercials. Before they finish elementary school, they would have seen 8,000 murders. It's a mind. And Paul says, actually, you want to live this victorious life, this Philippians life? Come on, Philippians church, understand, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable, whatever is, whatever is right and just, give your time, give yourself, focus your life, become intentional with your life, intentional with your thoughts, intentional with understanding that actually it's about your mind. And because what the, what the grid, the grid that you have for your life, is it God's grid? I think I keep coming back to this thing. I keep engaging Christians, be walking with the Lord for years and years. And the word of God is, is the scriptures and all the scriptures we quote at home group and in life. But do they take traction? I have to answer for my own life that sometimes I don't like them. Like, let your gentleness be evident to all. Sometimes I don't like the word of God, to be honest. Because it's hard. Because it's hard work sometimes. Because it demands something of me that seems costly. But you know what the promise at the end of the day is? Paul promises. He says, if you will then take your thoughts and then put into practice what you have seen. He says, you can't just leave it as your thoughts. Is whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. So take those thoughts that you've allowed yourself to dwell on, then put them into practice. But you've seen it. Here's the amazing thing. Who are... Who's watching your life and what can they put into practice? As a parent, your greatest job is, is not a, a, a massive facility for education one day. That'll be great if you can do that. But what about giving them a picture of what it is to walk with Jesus? What about giving them a picture of what it is to honor their mother, their father, their story? Because you're discipling them but who else are you discipling? And I think the challenge is, who are you being discipled by? He's discipling these people from prison. But why all of this? Why the Philippians story? Why these high challenges? He says, and the God of peace will be with you. I want the God of peace. I need the God of peace. I read the news. I've spent five years studying business. I understand financials. I understand financial challenges for country. I understand economics. You need peace. Young parents, we need peace. We need to know God. In times under pressure, I need peace. I need God to, I, I want to sleep at night. I want to sleep well. That's not going to come 
5,000 hours of, of meditating on some open space. It comes by days and lifetime meditating on Jesus, on who he was and who he is, on his life on this earth and his life in eternity that is available to me. And what pours in from my thinking to my actions to my life that I begin to live out is him. Paul is writing from prison. And if, 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 if we could have, we, we built a prison. He's writing from prison. And he's saying, come on, church. There's so much more. See, this is a good church. There's so much more. He says, actually, you, the, at the beginning of chapter four, there are two ladies. He says, you guys, help them sort it out, please, because they're important to the mission. Why? Because there's so much more. And we need to take people by the hand, let our lives live and show them, and allow our thinking to become fashioned and shaped by his truth and his word so that we don't spend our days holding on like rock climbers. Yes, you want to know what anxiety is? I wake up in the middle of the night thinking I'm a rock climber on the side of Table Mountain (laughs) and knowing I can't hold on. That would be like my worst nightmare. We can't live our Christian lives like that. And Paul says, actually, there's a promise And Psalm 1 starts out like this. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seats of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. I don't know if we do it enough sometimes, but to just tell you, greater than anything, you need the word of God. You you need the word of God. There's no lock on your Bible. It's not in a foreign language. If you can't read, you can't write, we'll help. But you know the greatest way to finding that peace is not a thousand preachers. It's finding yourself in the word of God, meditating on his promises, not hearing them from someone else. You can go to a thousand life groups and you might hear someone else's stories about God. But actually, you need to hear it for yourself. Those four big challenges from the series again. Is Christ the purpose of my life? Philippians chapter 1. Is it the purpose? Or is he the sideshow? Because if he's the sideshow, you're probably not going to enter into the fullness of peace. Does he set the pattern or the grid for life? The way you deal with people, the way you engage, the way you do business, is that determined by who Jesus is? It's tax season. The way you honor and pay your taxes, is that determined by who Jesus is? Is he the prize in your heart? And let me be brutally honest, sometimes other prizes want to get in a lot to this heart. Tim Keller says, the heart is an idle factory. Got a lot of prizes that want to get in this heart. But when I hear stories of God's gracious goodness, I want to run back to that prize. And is he the one who strengthens you? Maybe you won't be called to Paul's ministry to sit in a prison and encourage believers and be whipped and beaten. But you know what the church needs now? Our men and women who can stand. Where hope rises up because our eyes are fixed on the king, not fixed on, uh, on politicians, not fixed on leaders who have let down, fixed on the king who is eternal. And though my time on this earth can be affected by man, my eternity will only be 
affected by one, and his name is Jesus. Though my time on this earth can be challenged by the, by the lack of commendation or the accusations of man, eternity will be determined by the voice of one. And every breath that I have beyond this life will be given to worshiping that king. He's good. And this story, this, this not the story, this book of Philippians is about joy in life, even though it's tough sometimes. Let's embrace that. Let's be the no matter what believers, who it actually doesn't matter what the what is because of Jesus.